The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. When they heard him and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and was amazed or, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria uh, had received the word of God, they sent him to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Lord of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying, of, uh, the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the with this scripture, he said to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. 
and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water, and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers in the back by the Children's Church sign. If this is your child's first time in Children's Church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Well, good morning. I wish there was just some content that we could talk about. Um, Thank you all for being patient through uh, many, many verses, 36 or so verses of Acts 8. Um, before we hop into that, a uh, quick plug. If you all want to show the slide of the app, we have an app. We tell you about the app often. This is the slide that we talk about the app often. Um, this is a one-stop shop, but in particular, um, two or three things. Uh, Enrique mentioned how we uh, get to partner with a, a mission partner of ours, LifeSpring Health. Uh, they give health care to people who really are kind of amid the vulnerable margins in our city. And uh, this Saturday, you can find it on the app. It's a great way to get connected to both people in our church and in our city and see some good work. Second is um, through service. You are you have gifts. We believe in that. Everyone's gifted. No one's normal. Uh, it's something we wholeheartedly believe. And so uh, however you're gifted, one great way to meet people is employing those gifts in this setting. How you rub shoulders with folks, uh, talk, and get connected serving on the app. And then lastly, in two weeks... Um, there might not be a lot of men in the in the room because they'll be coming back from the men's retreat. Shameless plug. So um, you can find, hey, look at that. Y'all are good back there. Um, a men's retreat. So it's in two weeks at Fall Creek Falls. It's a great time to get away, um, hear from a great speaker, get connected to people in our community in, in this room and make it feel small. Um, but it kind of does what uh, two or three years of life d- can do and it does it all in two or three days. And so it's a great way to get connected to other people. End of spiel. Back to the book of Acts. So uh, we this uh, fall have been in the book of Acts and kind of looking at what does the witnessing look like? That the Holy Spirit's come, Jesus has risen from the um, and ascended into heaven, and he has gone and the Spirit moves in. And we see this beautiful pictures, these episodes of the Spirit moving, and they are um, helpful depictions of uh, descriptive rather than prescriptive. Meaning, what we see in this passage doesn't, uh, we shouldn't say, hey, go do likewise, exactly like Philip did. No. We get to see, hey, God uses people like Philip, and God goes to people like the Samaritans and the eunuch, like we'll talk about in here. We see what Holy Spirit does when he gets into the life of his people because there's a mission of God that can't be stopped. And it seems like it is stopped. It seems like it's quenched in Acts 7 we talked about last week. How uh, Stephen is stoned and he's killed. And all of a sudden he's in Jerusalem and they're trying to make sure this whole gospel, Jesus, Christianity is ended. They're trying to stop it. But what happens? Whenever that happens, there's this inversion. Whenever there's opposition, whenever there's conflict and strife against Christianity, that's when the church blossoms because that's when the Spirit loves to work through opposition and show the power of God. And so as there's this confusion of Stephen being killed, 
what happens is that God loves to make things very, very clear when things are very, very unclear. And it's that God loves to move and reach those who are unlikely. He loves to reach the unlikely people. And the funny thing is, is that he uses unlikely people to do it. And that's what we'll explore this morning. And we'll see that in Acts 8 in kind of three ways. First, the road to the unlikely. Second, the response to the unlikely. And third, the result of the unlikely. The road, the response, the result. Um, With that in mind, we'll hear about the Holy Spirit moving in Acts 8. And we need that very same Spirit to move among us for us to really get right to Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's go and pray together. Where we all find ourselves in this room, um, we could be sleeping in, we could be drinking our coffee at our, on our couch, but we find ourselves in this room. And we all come with a longing and an expectation and a hope to encounter something. It could be dramatic and, and, and life-changing and life-altering. It could be small It could be just so that we don't feel alone. It could be so many things. It could be out of anger, out of doubt, out of curiosity. Wherever each person may find themselves this morning, we come to you, God, and we are seen. And so you, as a God who sees us exactly who you are, may we not check things at the door, but instead bring them right to you and even right to the story of Acts 8 and say, do much with the things in my life because you are a God that does much with things in people's lives, especially the unlikely. And so may we, your people, grab a hold of the fact that we ourselves are unlikely. And that's where you love to move. And that's who you love to reach. And that's who you love to change. Would you, Holy Spirit, meet us, we pray. Amen. So first, uh, with the unlikely thought in mind, what is the road to the unlikely? Now, if we do a quick zoom out, we're at Acts 8. But if we go back to Acts 1, verse 8, the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke writes, and Luke is this doctor. He's a historian. He loves details. That's why it's so long. But Luke writes, and he's talking, and he says this. He says, uh, this is a story about all that Jesus began to do. That's his gospel of Luke. And then he goes on to say, here's the, here's the sequel. This is what happens when Jesus ascends and the Spirit moves through the church. Um, and in Acts 1.8, it says, it's going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's this kind of... Um, table of contents for the book of Acts and how the gospel is spread through the church, through the spirit. And it's amazing. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Remember, Acts 7 last week, we saw in Jerusalem, Stephen was killed. And Philip is this transitional character to go and take it from here in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world, the ends of the earth. And that's what Philip is called to do. And God takes Philip, this disciple of Jesus, and he takes them on the road to these unlikely candidates. And we see it in verse 4 and then later on in 26. But in verse 4 it says, Now those who are scattered about preaching the word, because Stephen had been killed, he'd been stoned, they're scattered. 
uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And then after he was in Samaria, later on, uh, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so he rose and he went. All right, Philip is this bearer of the news. It talks about, he's, he's getting, telling them about the gospel of the kingdom, this good news that King Jesus is here, and he has this kingdom that, that is inclusive to people, unlikely candidates. So who are these unlikely candidates? Who does it include? Who's it bringing in? Well, there's two kind of sections of this long scripture that was read for us. The first half, Samaritans. Second half, talks about an Ethiopian eunuch. So, the first half, Samaritans. These are people who were by blood Jewish and by culture Samaritan. So that means those who were purely blood Jewish and purely culturally Jewish looked on those who were not them, who had this Samaritan culture in them and looked down on them. Long ago in the Old Testament, Jews were taken away and hauled away in a captivity as they were taken over, and some were in Samaria, and they began to act like Samaritans. And what do people in Jerusalem look down on them for? Because they're not pure. Right? If To borrow a term from a, a book and movie series, they're the mudbloods. They're the people who are mixed cultures. They're, they're mixed. They're not pure. That's why in Luke 10, that when Jesus talks about the good Samaritan, it's a very countercultural parable. Because it's saying the Levitical priest, the person who is the leader in the Jewish faith, walks right by this person in need. But who helps the person in need? A good Samaritan. It's all about the heart. Countercultural. So that's, this, that's the first half. An unlikely candidate. A person that the Jews despise. The Samaritans. And the second half was an Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch, someone who had been physically altered, sexually altered, he had been castrated. And that's because when you, when that happens to you, you then cannot have children, which means then you actually are no threat to the person and rule and reign of your area. You can't have a lineage go past you because that doesn't work anymore. And so then all of a sudden you're no threat to them. You can't take over. There's no coup. And he's this Ethiopian eunuch, and it could have done by choice, or it could have happened to him. We don't know. But this Ethiopian eunuch, and if we zoom out, Acts is written by Luke to a guy named Theophilus, who is wealthy. He said, hey, I'll I'll give you this money. Can you write this history for me? I want to know more about this Jesus. And he writes the history uh, in, in the book of Acts. Theophilus was a Roman he was an official, and he was rich. That's kind of what we know about him and inferred about him. Now, why am I telling you that? It's because in the Roman eye, what was the ends of the earth? Ethiopia. The historians tell us the ends of the earth in the Roman's eye at that time was Ethiopia. Nothing past that is really worth it. That is the edge of the world. So what we see here are two unlikely groups of people or candidates. One but the Jews are a people looked down on, the Samaritans. The other is the people on the edge of the earth in the terms of the Romans. What we're seeing right here to both Jews and to Romans is that they are the most unlikely people and places the gospel of the kingdom could go. 
And what does Philip do? Brings the gospel of the kingdom to both the people, the Samaritans, and the place, all of Africa, Ethiopia, the ends of the earth. God is leading Philip to people who were outcasts and far away, both people and places. Right? It shows us that the kind of God will lead you places you'd never expect because he's after people you would never expect. Basically, it's not on our terms. It's not on our terms. And yet, why in the world would Philip do that? Why would he do that? Now, this week, I was driving uh, my, our two oldest children, uh, Teddy and Fox, to Mother's Day out. And so they were going to go for a few hours. And they, um, we were driving down the road, and I like to play music in my car. And so I put on um, music when I drove with my parents. Uh, I put on when we played. And it wasn't this classic rock. It wasn't any kind of uh, what was on the radio. My mom would pop in a CD, and it would be some kind of 70s folk music. And so I put on Gordon Lightfoot. Now, if you don't know who Gordon Lightfoot is, he's a 70s um, folk singer, and he died in May. And he, he died as a 180 years old. He was very old. But he is uh, a great songwriter. And so I'm getting my one, almost two-year-old, and my three-and-a-half-year-old amped up for school with Gordon Lightfoot. And so we're playing Gordon Lightfoot. And so, hey, we're playing, we're having fun, getting amped. And so I, I realized I'm gonna, I want to dance with them. Now, it's when you're buckled up in the car, it's hard to dance. And actually, when you're buckled up in the car, you turn into a bad dancer. Not that I'm good, but uh, I began to dance with my arms. You know, I'm driving with my knee and dancing with my arms, very safe. Um, I'm going to buckle up, so it's fine. And I'm doing, I'm doing the windshield wipers, you know, just moving my arms. Um, and I think, okay, I'm moving my arms. I'm bobbing my head. This is all I can do. And what do I see in my rearview mirror but my almost two-year-old son doing this? And his little head, little neck. Can't really move independently, so he's just moving his whole body like this. <laughs> like a chicken pecking, pecking corn. He wasn't original, and he wasn't cutting edge. He was just doing what he saw his father do. He was mimicking and emulating what he saw his father do. Why in the world would Philip go to Samaritans? They're gross. There are people we don't like for good reasons. They're impure. Why in the world would he go to a desert place and talk to an Ethiopian eunuch, someone from the farthest reach of the world? Why would he go to those people in that place? It's because he's emulating and copying what he has seen his father do. He knows Philip knows, I once was an unlikely candidate. Therefore, my role is to follow Holy Spirit and go to those who are the unlikely candidates. And it's going to lead me places I've never expected. Even if I know who I'm going to, the Samaritans, I may not like it. And even if I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm going to encounter. And yet, the gospel is big enough in his mind of, I can go there because I once was an unlikely candidate. And whoever I encounter, they too are unlikely and there's another time that God led his people into the desert without a plan in their minds. And it was the Exodus story in the Old Testament. And as they, they go and they're freed up from Egypt as slaves for 400 years, they don't know who they are, they don't know whose they are, they don't know how to live, they don't have a right allegiances. 
God says, I've brought you out and I will teach you and I will love you to life. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments. It's not a list of rules. It's a tablet for the human heart to grab a hold of as a manual to how this runs and how we're actually to worship and love and, and give life to the world around us. And later on, after the Ten Commandments, there are some smaller kind of laws, some with ethics in mind, some with law in mind. But, but one of those laws, just two chapters after the Ten Commandments, it says this. It says, do not, Israelites, as you come out of Egypt, have this in mind, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. God is telling the Israelites, don't have an, a forgetful mind. Don't have amnesia to your identity. You once were oppressed. You once had nothing. And guess what? I rescued you and it was my delight to do it. And therefore go love and rescue and be a delight to the world around you. I'm using you to reach others. Have enough awareness to remember you once were the others. And that's exactly what Philip is doing here as he's on a road to the unlikely, to the Samaritans and to this Ethiopian eunuch in the desert. He's going to unlikely prospects. And so my question for you is, who is your unlikely prospect? Who are the people? Who's your Samaritans? Who are the people that you actually may not be able to stand? The, the people who actually on your terms, you would never want in. Or people you just have a dislike of. A friction from a bad taste in your mouth with. The arrogant relative, the testy coworker, the ornery neighbor, the person you live with, the person you share a bed with. Who in your mind has your heart possibly grown cold to and yet God's saying, they may seem unlikely in your eyes, but I love to reach unlikely people through unlikely people. Or maybe it's places, a place you don't want to go, a place that's unknown. He told Philip, go to the desert place and I'll show you what's next. He says, okay, there's so much unknown there. And yet the places so often we don't want to go, there's unknown. It's too risky. I don't know what to do there. I'll be stripped from everything that's around me. That's security. And yet the road to the unlikely is often unknown. And yet God loves to use unlikely to reach unlikely and to go to places that are unlikely. That's the road. What's the response? The second idea. How do these people that Philip goes to respond? What does it look like? Well, there's multiple people involved in this long story and this long chapter. But, but Luke, this detail-oriented writer, really contrasts two groups of people. And the first group are the Samaritans, that's what we've talked about, and the African eunuch. But amid the Samaritans, there's this one guy. And his name's Simon, and he's a sorcerer. And he is contrasted with the later on in chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's trying to show us there's two responses we get from them each that contrast, that we're supposed to grab a hold of. Now, what are the responses? What does it look like? And it's that we, what we are truly after will be truly shown. What we are truly after will be truly shown in how we respond to what Jesus is offering to us or prodding at us or poking at us. What we're truly after is truly shown. So Simon the sorcerer, this guy who does magic, it says this. When, when Philip goes to uh, Samaria, it says, but there was a man named uh, Simon 
who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was something great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they pay attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with magic. Basically he's saying, look at me. I'm amazing. I have these magical powers. I'm a sorcerer. Look at me. I'm important. What do we see about the eunuch? The eunuch later on in the story enters in and it says this. It says Philip's in the desert and it says there's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning from Jerusalem, worshiping, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Luke is telling us that's where they start in the story, and their responses show what's inside of them. What they're truly after is truly shown, because it says for Simon that he wants to be great. He's saying, look at me. I'm this magician. I'm this sorcerer. I want to be great, and I'm going to use magic for all eyes, from the least to the greatest, it says, to be on me. And all of a sudden he says in the story, Luke does, this, this sorcerer becomes a believer in Jesus. And it appears that he really did. And that after he becomes, comes to faith, he then um, kind of is this understudy of Philip. And he goes with Philip wherever he may go, being in his shadow, learning much. And then all of a sudden he sees Philip do these miracles with the Holy Spirit. He, he drives out these demons and, ha- and has all these things happen. And he says, wait a second, I used to do sorcery and I used to do it because I wanted to be great. And now I see this magic in you. And he says, Can I, what's the market price for it? Can I buy this for you so then I can have this power and use it and employ it and deep down so I can be great? This motive that he has because he longs to be great and notable, that's what he's after He offered them money saying, give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He's trying to purchase the Spirit. And yet, what do we see in the eunuch later on in the story? He's a man who has power. He is the CFO of Ethiopia. He's the person in charge of all the money of the royal family of Ethiopia. He has has power and wealth. What also is that we note about him? He can read. Who could read at that time? Almost nobody. And yet he can read. What do we see he's riding in? In a chariot, right? He, he's, he's comfortable. He has affluence, right? He, he's not, probably don't have many calluses on his hands. And he's with his entourage. But what is the most notable thing about him? Not of what he has, but what he longs for. And he says he's curious about the faith. He wants to know more about this God of the Old Testament. He wants to know more. Is he really what it's like? And that has led him from the end of the earth, as the Romans saw it, six months and a thousand miles all the way to Jerusalem. Now, if you have that post, it's very important, and you leave it for six months there, six months back, that's a year. Ask Andy Bernard from the office. That's a big risk. You probably could lose it if you just leave Someone could fill in. He's risking so much by going. And yet, what do we see in him? He wants to know more. He's reading the book of Isaiah. He wants to worship God. That's why he goes to Jerusalem. And Philip then explains it, and then he wants to be baptized. 
Simon is someone who's trying to convince people he's something, and he uses money to buy the Spirit. The eunuch is someone who is someone because he has everything, and yet he moves beyond money and past money to get the Spirit. These two characters are contrasted in Acts chapter 8. And one thing we should pull as we look at these responses and these dispositions of these contrasting characters is one of the greatest gifts of the Spirit. One of the greatest gifts that Holy Spirit is to them and certainly to us is that it both Spirit is both a light and a crowbar. It's a light and a crowbar because the Holy Spirit will do this to us. When it gets involved in our life, just like it got involved in their lives, the Holy Spirit, when we encounter Jesus, will reveal what we are holding onto. It will reveal what is under our fingers as our hands are clenched and white-knuckled. It's a light. It's a revealer. What did it reveal in Simon? I want to be great. And therefore, I'll buy, can I buy? Can I buy in? What did it reveal in the eunuch? I have everything, and yet I long to know more. I want to know, is there a beautiful story out there? It's a light, and also it's a crowbar. Because for this, we see Simon is trying to retain his own. It's a crowbar because it shows how tight we're holding on to things. It shows how tight the white knuckle is. And for Simon, it shows you want this so bad. And, and Philip tells him, you, you really need to repent. And he says, please do that so I don't perish. He's being exposed for how tight he's holding on. I want recognition. And we see how tight the eunuch holds on to this, this, what he does have. Not tight at all, because he says, all I want is to know more about this God. I'm going to have all the things that I have going for me in money and affluence and sophistication. It takes a backseat to knowing more. The gift of the Spirit in this passage and to us is it's a light. It exposes what we're holding onto in our hands. So friends, what are you holding onto in your hands? As it brushes up against the Spirit, King Jesus, the movement of what the kingdom is growing in our world, in your world, what you're holding onto, one of the greatest gifts the Spirit is, is it exposes and brings light to what you're trying to hold onto. And it opens up your hands to be free to know more freedom than what you're trying to hold on to so tightly. That's what we see in the response. What's being exposed and opened up. Light, crowbar. That's the response in these two characters. What's the result? How, what's the resolve? How does it end? And this is this last idea. And what we see that's a common thread through all of this, if we pull on it, we see in verse 8 and verse 39 very similar things. Because in verse 8 and 39, we see this. Talking about the Samaritans, what, how did the things end and result in Samaria when Philip went? It says, so there was much joy in that city. When, the, when love came to town, when the Spirit came to town, there was much joy in that city. What do we see in the eunuch? We pull on that thread a little more. Where does it go? It says, and when they came to water, the Spirit uh, carried, uh, came out of the water, the Spirit carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And the, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. What happens in Samaria? Joy. What happens with the eunuch? Joy. Rejoicing. And this is not a fluffy word or a fuzzy word or even just a strict emotional word. Joy is an emotion. 
what this is trying to tell us is this biblical word, this, this Greek word that says it's full. It's lacking nothing. You have everything you've always wanted and more. That you are overflowing with contentment. That you need nothing else. Go nowhere else because you have everything you need. Joy. Right? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. This is just joy. It's full. What was the joy for the Samaritans? We are no longer looked down on. We tap into this kingdom. Yes, Philip told them, Jesus died for your sins. But what it says that Philip told the Samaritans was, the kingdom is here, which means you belong, you're in. This kingdom has a far arm, and you as an unlikely candidate are perfect candidates for this kingdom that Jesus has come and inaugurated and is now moving out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. That's what's beautiful, and that's what brought joy to the Samaritans. We're now not excluded, we're included. What was the joy for the eunuch? The joy for the eunuch came because he was shunned. He was rejected. He had deferred desires. The joy for the eunuch came because his deferred desires were met. Now, he heard about this Jesus, and he said to his boss, the, the queen of Ethiopia, he said, hey, I'm going to leave. I know I'm, I'm in charge of your money, but I'll keep doing that money thing. I have got to go to Jerusalem and worship this God because I, I can't not do it. I, my, 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 my heart is, and heart is just moving me toward this God. So he goes, risks much, goes a, a thousand miles, six months from Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem. He gets to the temple where he's gone six months and a thousand miles and his heart's just all six months and every step of the thousand miles is getting warmer and warmer, more excited and excited. I'm going to get there. And what happens when he gets to the door of the temple? They tell him, you're a eunuch. You have been physically and sexually altered. You can't come in here. I don't care how far you traveled. I don't care how long it took you to get here. You can't come in here. Our laws of cleanliness say you're out. A deferred desire on the extreme level. And so we pick up here and he's on the way home. He's taken a U-turn in this chariot. And he's going back to Ethiopia with a deferred desire. He wanted to go to the temple. He wasn't allowed in. And what happens? He's reading the book of Isaiah. He can read. What's he reading? Isaiah 53. What's Isaiah 53? It's the suffering servant song. And what does it say about the suffering servant? It says this. It says, In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? Meaning, who comes after him? Nobody. He dies alone with no lineage. For his life was taken away from the earth. And like the suffering servant, the eunuch is curious and asks Philip, what, what's this about? Because the eunuch knows what it's like to have justice denied him. He knows what it's like to for have a lineage end with him. He knows what it's like to be taken away, the things he most desires. He knows what it is like. And Philip goes on to tell him of the good news of the kingdom of God. What does it look like? He's in Isaiah 53. I would imagine Philip said, hey, you can read. Can you just roll that scroll over just a, like one 
like one turn was a scroll then. It wasn't a book. One turn and, and read a few paragraphs down. Go from Isaiah uh, 53 to Isaiah 56. Hey, hey, eunuch, read for me what's in Isaiah 56. What does it say there? Not about the suffering servant, but what happens when the suffering servant is now victorious and no longer a sufferer. What does it say there that he will do once his suffering is complete? It says, for this is what the Lord says, to eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them, to those eunuchs, I will give within my temple, the place he couldn't go in because he was unclean, and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. The suffering servant, because he suffered, because he had deferred dreams, deferred desires, because he was the one who suffered, he gives to a eunuch now the inclusivity of, you're a part of my kingdom. And I'm going to give to you every single thing you don't have right now. Your story doesn't end with you now. That you, Your justice won't be deferred and denied you anymore. You will have a name that goes on forever. You are mine. Philip is telling this eunuch through Isaiah 56, I see you in what you long for. And friends, I... I I would imagine that right now, that same Jesus wants you to hear through his Holy Spirit, I see you in what you long for. Because you long for something. You want something. Something's brought you into this room. Something wakes you up in the morning. Some kind of curiosity in your heart of hearts. Some kind of hole in your soul. Something drives you to do things, whether you want to do them or maybe you don't want to do them. There is a drive and a longing in you that you want something. And the distaste and the disdain of a deferred desire is so much to bear. And I'm here to tell you the suffering servant knows that. So what do you want? What do you really want? What is your heart longing for just like this eunuch would go a thousand miles, risk everything to know, is it really true? Is it really that beautiful? What do you want? Because I'm here to tell you, if we learn anything from the story in Acts 8, there's joy in Samaria, and this eunuch goes away rejoicing, and you should settle for no type or kind or flavor of Christianity that doesn't offer you that. Because that's what Jesus came to do, is give you joy where you're full, where you're satisfied, where you need to go nowhere else because you have what you need because he has suffered for you and he sees you in your longing. That's your Jesus. And one day, if that's your Jesus, you will see this very eunuch say, I have a name that goes on forever and I'm able to enter in the temple and the walls that I once was deferred. And you'll actually probably see Simon. This says, I really messed up when I asked this. How off I was and yet how gracious God was to me. That's a part of the unlikely crew the kingdom is bringing in. And friends, there are plenty seats. Wouldn't you join? And just like Philip, we are the unlikely. And we get to go in God's generosity and tell the unlikely what kind of kingdom Jesus is bringing to our place even right now. Let's pray.
Lord, if we were really honest and looked down inside, it's, it's the hardest place to look. Looking out to others tells us a story that we believe, or even um, looking up to you can so often be easy, but looking down inside of us, it can be so hard because it asks us to reckon with what we see and what we find. And one reason we don't want to look inside and reckon with what we see and what we find is because we see there maybe some deferred desires. We see the holes in our souls. We see in our heart of hearts ways in which we feel so empty and the longings and the lack, it can be so much. And you, as the suffering servant, as Isaiah 53, see us in it. And so this very day, would we, by the power of the same Spirit, that cast out demons in Acts 8, and by the power of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, by that Spirit, would we this very day feel seen by you, the suffering servant? And would our longings and our lack be transformed into joy? And the places we move our feet and the places we cast our eyes upon would be marked with rejoicing, instead of lack and longing. And that's only possible because you are a God that promises us and you've given us Acts 8 as a story, not to tease us, but to give us a taste of who you are and what you offer. Help us walk into it and from it with faith that you see us. We pray in your name, King Jesus. Amen. But to give us a taste of who you are and what you offer. Help us walk into it and from it with faith that you see us. We pray in your name, King Jesus. Amen.